This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild. Back with Warden's Watch Wild with Alex A. Saran, which uh, is uh, every time I say that now, Alex, I just think of Saran rap. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, you, you should you never give me that word time. association with your last name because uh, it's, it's, <laughs> this is the second time I've been on. I start laughing every time I think about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Well, if it helps you remember it, there you go. That's right. And I, at this point in my life, that's what I do word association. So it, it works yep. out. And uh, anybody that's listened to me uh, do podcasts, I sometimes trip on some names. There's no doubt about that and plan on tripping on in the future. So. Uh, well, there's but, a lot of challenging names out there for sure. So for sure, it's understandable. Yeah. yeah, it's the Smiths that I get messed up with. 
So, hey, we're, we're back with Alex A., and we're, we're going to talk. Uh, we talked moose, and we started talking about ticks, and after we stopped that podcast, I'm like, hey, let's let's dive into this winter tick thing, and then maybe after we'll get an entomologist on, and we'll, we'll really peel back the layers of the tick because that is what is hammering the moose population. That's, that's what I've seen in my career go from a very healthy, um, huge amount of moose population to almost, uh, yeah, a fraction of what it was in its heyday for sure so and and it's the winter tick is uh the the culprit here isn't it alex a yeah it really is at least in the northeast um seems to you know all studies that have been done in maine new hampshire and vermont have really pointed towards that as well as the maritimes and new new work that's it's going ongoing in the northeast um you know and i'm not an entomologist i'm an ecologist a wildlife ecologist um and i definitely you know advocate you talking to uh, folks like Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl Frank Sullivan at University of Vermont or Dr. Kenan Oyen at the University of C- Cincinnati. They do awesome work and they're continuing to do great work and understanding the life cycle of ticks and different environmental parameters that influence winter ticks and how that relates to moose. Um, before I, you know, I, I started up with my work with Terry Donovan, Dr. Terry Donovan at the University of Vermont. I spent a year working with my master's advisor at the University uh, Dr. Peter Peekins at the University of New Hampshire uh, doing a postdoc. And, and, and a lot of my work during that year was modeling tick data that had been collected by his, his grad students or the tick data, as you know, that you see biologists collecting in New Hampshire at the stations when you bring in a harvested moose. They have a method that they're able to kind of index abundance on, on individual moose that are brought in. It's done in Maine, it's done in New Hampshire, and it's also done in Vermont. So I use that data to be able to evaluate these environmental relationships and these density, moose density relationships, um, and kind of look at factors that are influencing tick abundance across the region and what really creates what's called an epizootic. And, and so that term is refers to when you have, um, I always get this wrong, but it's less than 50, greater than 50% calf mortality is considered an epizootic. Those years when you have greater than 50% calf mortality, um, less than uh, uh, 60% uh, reproduction or productivity, cap production, and then less than 5% twinning rates. So usually when you have those scenarios, it's indicate it's indicative of winter ticks having, winter ticks were very abundant in the previous fall, and that has that uh, effect on moose on the following year. So take, for example, and, and, and from the work that I did from at UNH with Pete, it really kind of um, supports some of the previous that would work that was done by some of his grad graduate students. I just had a full a larger range of data available to be analyzing from the actual harvest counts that were collected on moose in Maine and New Hampshire, but also some of the tick dragging surveys that his graduate students did, Henry Jones and, and Dan Bergeron, who are at New Hampshire Fish and Game, and the moose biologist and the wildlife program leader. And they collected a ton of data Dan Bergeron did during his study and is also Dan Powers did, uh, Brent Powers, I'm sorry, during his his master's work for three years where they would be dragging cloth uh, ticks across these different cuts, many different cuts and repeatedly dragging across and counting how many ticks were on these cloths. And from that, they'd be able to look at these regional differences They'd be able to index abundance and look at these regional differences in tick abundance and these habitat factors um, and moose density factors that were relating to higher abundances. So that was really important data that they collected. And so I use that to kind of figure out 
you know, these different environmental factors that were influencing tick abundance from year to year. Why did it change from year to year? What were the most like key environmental and habitat related factors? And what we really found is that those epizootics were more common in really that northern New Hampshire, western Maine area. And those those areas are really characterized by shorter winters on average compared to northern Maine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and longer falls. And I'll get into this in a second, but also having a lot of great moose habitat. There was tons of moose habitat in that area, which means there's a lot more feed for moose and their abundance is going to be much higher. Their densities are going to be much higher. And that means they're going to be able to kind of like redistribute ticks around the landscape and kind of keep tick abundances higher. So the key thing that we found is that when you have really long falls and snowless falls and you don't get that cold snap early, you don't get that cold snap in November, early November, um, late October, and you don't get snow on the ground there, it allows for ticks to quest longer and accumulate on moose because ticks are pretty, winter ticks are pretty hardy. And a lot of work that Ken and Noyan and uh, Dr. Sullivan, Cheryl Sullivan are doing really showing how hardy they are. If you typically have prolonged snow that when the onset of permanent snow occurs, that's really what stops questing from happening. But if that doesn't happen until like end of November, later into December, that's going to have a positive influence on ticks because they won't die. They'll be able to kind of continue to look for moose and quest for moose and and find their hosts. So the other thing that we found as well, and this was just supporting some of the previous work, is that when you have these really hot and dry late summer conditions, that's really not good for winter ticks. So they really need moisture to survive. They climb up when when they start their questing in late August, mid-August, beginning of September, they go up vegetation and they wait and they're just ambush style ticks. They're not like your dog tick or your deer tick that can actually uh, move around. They kind of ambush, they just wait and they're all kind of clustered together and their currency or they're what they need to stay alive is they need moisture. And so they really depend on a lot of like dew during that period um, to be able to kind of keep them charged up to be able to stay alive. And so what ends up happening is that if you have these really hot and dry summers, then that can desiccate them. They can become dried out and their abundances will be lower. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. But what we found is despite that happening sometimes, even when you have lower abundance because of those conditions, if you still have a really, really, really warm fall and a long fall and you don't get that snow, you still can have an epizootic. So that happened a couple of years ago um, because we just went through that drought. And so we had really, really, really low abundance numbers in the fall of 2020, but we had a really warm fall. So we still had conditions, at least in Maine, where you had high number of mortalities. You still had greater than 50% of your calves dying in some reasons, some regions. Mm. So it's a complex, incredibly complex relationship. And there's still so many more answers to, to, to figure out, you know, because these winter ticks really depend on their hosts. They really depend on moose mm. where they, you know, the life cycle goes is that they I'm talking about when they're collecting, you know, when they're questing for moose and these nymphs get on moose and then they take blood meals and find a final blood meal in, in their one host tick. They stay on one host. They don't transfer to other ones. And during 
you know, March where they take their big blood meal and these adult females fall off and where they fall off, that's where they lay their eggs. They can disperse maybe um, up to a meter, but that's it. So they really can't go anywhere. So they're really, really, really dependent on the moose and where their moose drop the ticks. So if you can imagine they're dropping these ticks off, the moose are dropping these ticks off in April and May, March, April, and May, what re they're reinfecting themselves. And so what ends up happening, what we're trying to figure out is that mechanism of like, how are they reinfecting themselves? So what the thought is, is that they're probably revisiting those same habitats. And we have information, we have data to support that they're using those same habitats in the fall as that they used in the springtime when they dropped off. And that's how they're reinfecting themselves. But there's a whole other host of different things that can occur and and, and questions that we have that are unresolved. And that's why a lot of this research is ongoing. Um, and these, these you know, Cheryl and, and Kenan are doing some great work and also the new graduate student on the, at the University of Massachusetts, um, Juliana Barube is just, just doing some great work with this. So it's gonna be some exciting, um, I think findings in the next couple years that'll help us kind of unlock and understand these, these mechanisms a lot more. The one thing that always comes to my mind, Alex, eh, is uh, where did winter tick come from? Because in the moose heyday, I never even remember hearing about uh, winter tick. And then all of a sudden we had winter tick. Yeah, well, I think it's partially a habitat thing. You know, you have a lot of great habitat. And then it's at the same time, it's partially a changing climate. So I think that they, well, at least according to a lot of the entomologists, and they've always been here. They've been here for a long, long time, and they had more overlap with with deer and other more southern species. Mm-hmm. Um, but with increases in density, it's the same thing with the snowshoe hares, where you have this great habitat, you have higher density, you're going to have a lot like more likely to attract predators. In this case, for you know moose, it would be wolves, but we don't have wolves here. But you're also more likely to attract, attract parasites as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so these low density populations that are and low density moose populations that are in Southern um, New Hampshire, Northern Massachusetts, Southern Vermont, or the Adirondacks, they're not finding many ticks on those, on those moose that they're either harvest or today opportunistically finds their roadkill moose. Mm. Um, and so that's, and again, a very interesting thing is that, you know, and that's what Maine is really, you know, um, looking at right now with their reduction their, their harvest um, and up in, in northern in northern Maine in WMD4, the Wildlife Managed District, District 4, where they're reducing the numbers of moose to see if they can break that winter tick cycle in those areas that are higher density. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, um, no doubt. Oh, makes me yeah. look forward to uh, speaking to our entomologist to, to get all the tick information specifically and, and learn about winter tick. Yeah, they will provide a lot more than I was able to provide you. So, yeah. but well, thanks for giving us that relationship between the the winter tick, the moose, the de- decline in populations in the Northeast, and uh, you know what's going on with that. So, I really appreciate that, Alexei. So, thanks again for joining us on Warden's Watch Wild. Yeah, thanks for having me, Wayne. I appreciate it. <laughs>
Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild.